This is probably one of the most uh, famous passages of scripture. If you were to ask someone, like, what are the what are the stories in the Bible? Probably David Goliath would come up pretty pretty quickly. If you were to ask that question, we're in our third week of the series on David, and if you remember the first week, we talked about how uh, David is called and anointed by God and in the same way. Uh, each of us, even in our sometimes feelings of obscurity and ordinariness, are also called and anointed by God uh, to be with him and working with him in what he wants to do in the world. And he does that through Jesus. So as we did in our first, our first sermon, in our second one last week, we talked about work, uh, that, that David gets his first sort of king assignment before he's king is to come and play harp for Saul, who's just in this terrible frame of mind. And he's called to bring healing in order to Saul's mind in the workplace. And in the same way, God calls each of us to see our work in our workplaces as the opportunity to extend the life and the order and the grace of Jesus into the world. So that's, the, that's where we're at so far. And here we are in this third, this third uh, episode, you might say. And the question is, what will David, who knows his calling from God and who has allowed God to work through him in the workplace, how is he going to respond to Goliath? And how does Saul respond to Goliath? And there's a bit of a uh, contrast there, which has been going almost every sermon as we've talked about this and read through this. There's a bit of a contrast literarily, right, between Saul and David. But finally, for us today, looking at David, looking at Saul, how does uh, David's uh, really quite courageous action in this passage reinvigorate us to respond with, uh, with the understanding that God brings to difficult situations? Do we, like David, learn to see the problems in our own lives in light of who God is or in light of what we just see, what Saul would see? Or do we look with sort of God's eyes? So that's where we're at here. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background the whole idea of, uh, uh, so both these armies meet up, right? And they're on either side of the valley, which is great dramatic kind of tension. They're going to go fight in the middle. And uh, this is a good idea. They suggest, well, you send your best guy, we'll send our best guy. And that way, we don't kill as many people. It's actually kind of smart. Uh, kind of limits the total warfare going on. So they say, okay, we'll send a champion, you send a champion. Of course, the Philistines kind of have an ace, right? And they go, yeah, we'll do it, yeah. Yeah, we've got a guy. So they bring on Goliath. And uh, the Israelites, in that situation, which is not uncommon that they kind of be this duel, they really don't have anyone that can match Goliath physically, except for Saul. And if you, if you, we didn't go over this previously, but if you were to read back through 1 Samuel, you'll remember Saul is about head and shoulders over almost everybody. So there's anyone that is also a bit of a giant for Israel, it's Saul. But Saul is not volunteering. In fact, he's in the background. He's not at the foreground. And again, that's indicative of Saul's heart, isn't it? Uh, he's, he's a little bit nervous here, a bit anxious. He's the natural choice for the opponent, but uh, he is not leading his people. Because, as we recognized over this last couple of weeks, uh, he's kind of forsaken his king calling, and the Spirit of the Lord has left him, and now the Spirit's upon David, and as we'll see, David actually leads the people like the king should. So David shows up in all of this. He's still he's still pretty young at this point. 
He's not part of the army. He's journeying back and forth from the battle site to bring food to the brothers. The top three brothers are there, the ones that I dismissed earlier, right? They're, in, they're over with Saul. And uh, he's there to kind of get news and report back to Jesse, who's at home in Bethlehem. And we're told that this standoff's been going on for 40 days. Now that should ring bells right away. 40 days. Where have I seen that before? Right? Almost any sort of period of testing in Scripture is often 40 days or 40 years. So you've got 40 years in the wilderness for Israel, 40 days in the wilderness, uh, Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, um, Noah, right? So all these sort of moments of 40 days, which is often indicative of testing and saying, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to trust the Lord in this situation or not? And that's the question for Israel. Right? Are they going to trust uh, in the arm of their strength? Or are they going to trust in the Lord? Now, when David arrives on the scene, the people of Israel are just a mess, aren't they? They're not in good shape. And we've, we heard this description, verses 4 to 7, right? We're just going to skim over that. Um, the author takes, takes a long time to give us some of these details, which is unusual. You don't get a lot of description in, in Scripture, either in, in Old Hebrew Scriptures, Israel Scriptures, or in, in our Greek New Testament, because it's not something that really matters a whole lot to them. In our novels, we get, like, eyes are blue, was this tall, hair was this color, you know. They're not really too interested in that. So to get a long description like this of how big life is, how much this armor weighs, I mean, it's meant to convey just how intimidating this person is. Um, I mean, he's, he's a behemoth, but he's, he's, he's a monster. He's huge. Like, it's terrifying, right? And if any of them lose, they're all going to get like enslaved or wiped out or something. It's terrible. It's terrifying. Uh, it's very impressive, but it's, I mean, if you're on the other side of that, it's not good, right? And on top of just his sheer sort of physical dominance, he's also teasing them, and he's mocking them, and he starts to mock God in the middle of it all. And all of that uh, teasing and brutality and the, just the danger and the fear that life brings as he's come forward, this is also a seeped into the imaginations of Saul and his army. Their whole kind of world, by the time David shows up on the scene, has just become dictated by Goliath. His awe-inspiring Goliath, God-blaspheming Goliath. And when David arrives in verses 26 and 27, just over here on this page for me, we, we passed over some of this part because I didn't want us to, uh, it's a longer section. But in the section that we passed over, uh, when David arrives, and he's just kind of shocked that they're so undone by the presence of Goliath, he's like, uh, guys, like, what's going on? They, they just dismiss David. Like, they're so caught up. Goliath is so dominating their minds by this point. They can't even see David coming to bring food, this friendly gesture, as friendly. First of all, they're like, what are you doing here? And secondly, the fact that he would even suggest uh, that they have a chance, they just dismiss outright. He's, David shows up and he's just kind of dismissed. His brothers don't understand it. Glad so ruined their imaginations, they can't see David's friendship even directly at this point. And we realize the moment we permit evil to invade our imaginations, uh, to dictate what we think, uh, to shape our responses, it, we become incapable of seeing what is good and what's true and what's beautiful. Uh, the moment that we let uh, sort of Goliath lies, 
a blind deception shape our imaginations and our vision. It's very difficult to see as God sees and to respond as God would have us. Um, so the whole army is uh, kind of caught up in this. And folks, it's dangerous for us uh, and really discouraging to be under any kind of debilitating lie, isn't it? Yes. Have you ever been in a place of believing some sort of lie, either about yourself, primarily about yourself, really, but any sort of lie um, the enemy would use to just debilitate you, you know it's completely just saps you of energy, uh, strains the way you think about life. That makes it very difficult to lean into Jesus and kind of trust in him because this just dominates your mind. And it could be, it could be the lie of saying, you know, I'll, I'll never be free of sin. Yeah, the Lord's forgiven me, but I have all this nonsense in my life still. I've got this habitual stuff. You know, maybe I struggle with this or that, and it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And I'm, I'm never going to get free of this. That's a lie. Uh, it can feel very powerful, but that's, that's a lie. Or maybe it may be the feeling of, well, I just don't really deserve God's love. You know, why would he, why would he die for me? I don't, it's, not, it's not enough. My sin's more powerful than the cross still. That's a lie. Um, the worst lie is, is to believe, well, I don't really need God, actually. I'm good enough on my own. Thank you very much. Um, but lies deceive us, and maybe, I don't know, what sort of lies you've sort of faced in your own life, or temptations you've faced in your own life, particularly about yourself, um, they're incredibly powerful, aren't they? They block us from seeing our need of God, and they make it really difficult to rely on God or to trust in his strength. So here, Saul, and I hope that kind of clicks for you as we look at this, but Saul and his army, they're just consumed by the lie of what the lie represents and who he is. Uh, he's dominated their imaginations. In fact, I'm talking a lot about imagination, if you haven't noticed, but the whole idea of what, what sort of shapes our minds and our vision and our actions is your imagination. So they can't see things correctly. He's just sort of dominated their whole world. Um, but David's not taken in by it. He doesn't stand for it for a second. In fact, he's shocked that the people of God are sort of cowering in their anxiety and in their fear when they should know that they serve the living God. He's on their side. It's the living God. Uh, he's alive and real. And he's more powerful than, than what is in front of them. Um, as you know, that can be a very difficult thing. That what's more real um, is sometimes not what's visible. Sometimes the invisible thing is more real than the visible thing in front of you. David gets it. So Israel and Saul have Goliath-shaped imaginations. David shows up and he has a God-shaped imagination. And that changes everything. But how did, how did that get cultivated in David's life? You know, like, at this point, he's shown up and he, he's able to kind of read the situation correctly. Um, but how? What got him to this point? And I think, I don't think it's anything incredibly unique to David. I don't think it's some particularly special calling that he has. Much he's called the king, and that's very important. I think his ability to have the God-shaped imagination comes from a daily walk with God. And we see that in the Psalms, that he is in his life and in his work as a shepherd. He is, he is daily been in the presence of the Lord, listened to his word, prayed, meditated. He's, he's just had a very really kind of ordinary life of walking with God, 
leaning on him, recognizing his dependence upon God, loving him, worshiping him, uh, being in his presence, relying on his protection and his strength when he's faced the bear and the lion in different situations in his life. But David's able to have a God-shaped imagination because he's, he's been practicing the presence of God. He's been cultivating a life with God all through his days. And perhaps that's for us as well. That's for us as well. It's, it's not sort of the dramatic um, moment, so that lightning moment that always transforms lives. That can indeed happen. But God, it seems, is also interested in that slow transformation that happens in real lifetime. In fact, he specializes in that. Growing us every day through our ordinary circumstances, the ups and downs, the births and the deaths, uh, the marriages and the divorces. He's present in the middle of all of this, and he cultivates our character. So that when these sorts of situations happen, we can we can show up with our imaginations tuned to how God sees it. Uh, so, so the call for us is to foster that daily life with God and, and to uh, persevere in it, to keep at it. I mean, not seem as dramatic as we might like it. And there's those moments, those dramatic moments throughout life also of experiencing the Lord's presence. Um, but he doesn't call us to sort of skim along the mountaintops. He wants he wants us to walk with him and be following him through all the, all the parts of life. I think that's what cultivates uh, the right mindset and attitude that David comes with here. So much so that for David, what's more real is God. God is the most real thing in David's life. God's more real than Goliath to David. Even though Goliath's what's in front of him, Goliath's what's dominating the landscape, Goliath's what, what is what the rest of the armies come down with, this Goliath epidemic, uh, David knows that God is the truest thing about the world. God is more alive and more faithful and more personal and more present and more holy and more good than the Goliath that's right before him. David knows it. And David knows it because he's, a, he's experienced a life of walking with God. Uh, every day leading up to this point. He has just been walking with the Lord. May God do the same in us. May God cultivate that life in us as well. And may we be tuned uh, to want to live that life with God. So David's heart's on display here. Remember back when he's called, David and God knows that David has a heart for him. And now we see that work out. Uh, the thing that riles David up is the fact that Goliath's blaspheming the name of the Lord, the living God. It's that, 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 uh, the fact that Goliath would do that is what tells David he's qualified to face Goliath. The fact that, that Goliath is confronting God, the living God, is the thing that, that makes David say, we need to do something about this. And I'll face him. Here we go. I know the living God. I'll do it. <clears throat> he knows he's qualified to fight the enemy. And it's not just because of his experience with wild animals, even though that's what Saul's interested in, right? So what's your pedigree? Right? What's on the resume? What other giants have you killed? And he goes, well, you know, bottom line, bottom bear. Um, but that wasn't really the point. The point is that God is with me, right? David kind of turns the conversation back to God. Yeah, 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 yeah. God's been faithful, but 
That's just because he's faithful. It's not because I got like really good experience fighting off lions. And that was valuable, but it wasn't because of experience. It's because of character. That's what matters here. David's actually being Israel's king. Right? He's demonstrating the character of the king. The character of one who's walking with God. And he's leading people with this sort of God-shaped attitude and outlook on life. And he knows that it's the living God who leads Israel's armies. Uh, that's something Saul's never really understood. That's something Saul's struggling with. So here's David. Folks, we have three we have three sort of options for how we respond to the world. We can either be um, you either give into the arrogance and, and the lies of the life. Uh, you can give into the anxiety and the fear of Saul. Or you can let yourself be shaped by the character and the holiness and the patience of God. Have an imagination that sees God at work and depends on God for his courage and his strength, even or particularly in the most difficult circumstances. This is pretty it's a pretty it's a pretty bad place, what we're in right now in life. David uh, David finds himself in a world where the arrogant, the powerful, and self-righteous are on one side, and uh, the anxious, and the fearful, and the insecure on the other. I think we find ourselves in that place often, also, between giving into arrogance, and domineering, and authoritarianism, and elitism, or uh, pity, and fear, and anxiety. David, uh, David, with the Lord's help, kind of cuts through both of those. And he has, has an imagination that helps him see the truth about what's going on, the truth that God would have him see. Both of these are, are not real. God has them not. David's able to kind of cut through it with the Lord's help. When God shapes your imagination, we gain an ability to see the situation correctly. So the question for us this morning is what area of your life do you need God's perspective? What area of your life do you need God to shape your imagination so you can read it correctly? So that you can then respond to it uh, as God would have you respond to it. Uh, That might be something at work, might be something in your marriage, something with the kids, I don't know, fill in the blank. Where's that area of your life where you feel sort of either prone to anger or prone to fear? And you need God's strength to kind of help you see it correctly and cut through those things and respond with His righteousness, His holiness, and His grace. Does that make sense? All of that sort of thinking gets Saul really anxious. I love this part where Saul tries to clone David, right? This is verse 38. Um, Good, you've got good experience. You fought that lion, that bear. Great. Lord be with you. Now come here. I'm going to put my stuff on you. You know, puts all the stuff on, and David's just kind of bogged down with it. Saul's well-intentioned at this point, but David knows it's not true. It's not David. Wearing Saul's stuff is not David. A lot of us, with, with good intentions, put our put our stuff on other people. Uh, David says, I don't need this. I don't need this. And David's actually bold enough and gentle enough to take the armor off. And this is the king is telling him to do this, right? Actually, I don't need it. I don't need it. To face Goliath, he needs to be just exactly who God's made him. 
So, with all that in mind, David finds himself between two giants in this valley. He's got Goliath on the one hand, Saul on the other. And the question for us, as we kind of step out with David into that valley, is my life shaped by fear of Goliath or fear of God? And do I give in to an admiration of Saul or an admiration of God? Who shapes my life? Is it formed by uh, a consumerist culture of the live talk and Saul anxiety that shapes my life? Or is it shaped by God? Am I dominated like the army with lies, lies and live sickness? Am I dominated like Saul with fear and anxiety and trepidation and just kind of uh, paralyzed, unable to move? Or do we do we move into the situation uh, responding in line with life and the life of God? <clears throat> Who calls us and invites us and equips us to face these things? David in this really, really critical moment, really, it's really a salvation moment. I mean, he's really get wiped out here, right? All, all the Old Testament so far, all the Exodus and everything leading up to this, we get wiped out. It's kind of on a knife edge. And David, with his imagination brimming with the truth of God, he enters the foray, not dressed up as the soldier, but he just comes as the shepherd boy. Here he comes. What's he do? He picks up five smooth stones. He picks up those five smooth stones he has to name. It doesn't say it in the text, but either he stooped or he got on his hands and knees. My guess is he has to sort through some stones there in the brook, find the ones that feel right. He's weighing them in his hand. Yep, that'll work. That'll do. That one. That one. Folks, in the midst of the battle, folks, in the, in the, in the midst of um, Almost a hopeless situation, David. David was on his knees. And this makes sense because he's chosen to live his life here on his knees. And as he kneels, he turns his attention not to the fearful advice of others, the well-intentioned, as all this, nor does he focus on God blaspheming the lion. But he gets on his knees in the middle of that valley, two giants on either side. And he comes to the David kneels. He kneels and he prays. He kneels and he, he selects five smooth stones. He kneels and he finds a third way between the Goliath fear and the Saul anxiety. He kneels and he finds a, a God-shaped imagination in a place that feels really hopeless. He kneels and he comes back to the, the calm truth of God's love and God's presence for him or his people. And it's in this place, this unhurried, calm, open-to-God place where he's kneeling that he then gets up, verse 48. He starts running. He runs into it. He runs to confront the giant. He runs headlong into the crisis because he's equipped with the courage and the prayerful imagination that God has for him. He's on fire with God's vision, able to read the situation correctly. It's not
as I finish this up, let me ask you just a few questions and let that sort of settle in you. Um, what giant maybe is there in your life? Or what crisis maybe looms on your horizon? Or what what uh, fear or pain sort of dominates your life? Is there is there sin that just seems to kind of be choking you? Is there uh, an anxiety or a fear that's that's just settling on you? Are you worn down um, by lies like Goliath does to the people? Or are you kind of caught up in fear and anxiety? Like salt. But what what dominates your imagination? Is it God or is it is it something or someone else? Who kind of fills your heart and your mind as you kind of go through your day? When you face a crisis, uh, how do you respond? Who's first on your heart, in your heart and your mind when you face these situations? Is it the presence? God is the presence of Jesus who saturates your life and your thinking. Is it the truth of His compassion and His grace and His promises? Is it the life of the Spirit that sort of animates and sustains and emboldens you to respond well? Or is there something else that just kind of cuts in the way of all that? I guess what I'm asking folks is are you feeling more like Saul? Or are you, are you feeling like David? Are you kneeling like David? That's the posture we want to bring to these sorts of situations in our lives. Is a, is a waiting uh, assurance in the presence of the Lord who will, who will uh, encourage and embolden us to face the situations of life, even when it doesn't look like we should be able to. And we all face stuff, right? We all face stuff. The question here in the, in the David Glad passage is how are you going to respond? Lots of options to respond. How are you going to respond? Is it with God in your heart and your mind? Or is it with is it with a, a Goliath fear or a solemn anxiety? You know, the church has faced a lot of giants in her day. The church has faced the worst regimes and the worst empires that this world has really ever seen. And through the love of Jesus has actually transformed civilization. The inside out. It's not new to face hardship. So when we enter our world, our community, our workplaces, do we come alive and equipped with the love of Christ and allow Him to shine through us? I hope we can. And my prayer for you is that you be quick to kneel in that place of discerning God's presence, God's direction. But it just seems like it's overwhelming on all sides. And be quick to discern his love and his life for you.